Welcome to Philosophy AU, the show where we analyse and explore the modern world through a philosophical lens. My name is Lyndon, I'm studying artificial intelligence and I'm interested in the design of efficient systems for virtuous outcomes. I'm Josh, I'm studying psychology and I'm interested in the generation of progress that alleviates suffering in the world. We believe in the power of knowledge and the role it plays in creating a better world. We hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty, everyone, we are back, back again. Welcome back to the show. Happy Monday, everybody. Um, thank you for tuning in again. We hope you're all well. Um, back again with Lyndon, uh, and we're yeah, we're in another lockdown. Um, <laughs> you know, that's going how it is. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, thanks, Joshua. As you're aware, I am now fortunately considered regional Victoria, so I can move around. Um, quite, quite freely. Um, so I went and spent the weekend with my grandparents for the first time in, in a long time. Um, and I am used to seeing them quite regularly. So that was just super wholesome and reinvigorating. Yeah. One of those weekends. And I often find this about hanging out with like yourself included, um, just people, people I'm close with in general is it always catches me by surprise just how enjoyable it is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. I wasn't aware that. Are we under different rules? Yeah, so regional Victoria um, sort of came out of lockdown surprisingly. Um, <sighs> yeah, just I feel very un, like it was disappointing in a way because I had a 30th um, with one of my friends who missed out on his um his anniversary party or his like engagement party sorry um mm-hmm. wedding original birthday and this was sort of like the rescheduled 30th yeah. um i think i've got that correct yeah. and for like the four days that we were sort of in this snap lockdown it just fell on that event um oh. so super disappointing but um he had a, a kid um, like a day or two ago, so he's now a father. So it was oh, kind nice. of trying to get that a, event in before mm. um, becoming a dad, but he took it all in his stride and was like, no, it's just going to be awesome when I get to celebrate my 30th finally because mm. you know, there'll be a, a little one there. So, yeah, just mm. uh, he's one of my good friends, and it just I think it was super cool of him to just take it all in his stride because I was super disappointed to not get mm. to you know celebrate someone who I think's really really good value uncle linden hey nah not quite um, <laughs> i think the the focused Creepy episode uncle on, yeah the focused episode on myself revealed that i'm not ready for anything of that <laughs> nature yeah fair. yeah you tell me a little bit about how things are in your world so um yeah up and down i would say like this weather is actually doing a number, like a really good number. It's I'm loving it, like immensely loving it. Um, you know, just that really gorgeous spring weather. Went down to the park today, had a drink, reading, just chilling out. Got some sun. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we uh, both sort of low level suffer from the sads a little bit in the winter. Um, and yeah, I reckon it, it does such a good boost. Um, so that's been really nice uh, and just been 
as usual, you know, practicing the gratitude every day. And uh, I've been into a book, um, this other book that I didn't tell you about, which you might have seen. Um, it's called like The Happiest Man on Earth or whatever. It's, yeah, I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, quite a, quite a self-helpy title, but it's very much uh, definitely nowhere near as good as um, Viktor Frankl. Men's Search for Meeting, nowhere near as good, but um, similar crux, like telling a sort of a, a Nazi Germany survivor story. And um, just like a short, you know, 200-page read. Um, and again, it was just probably one of those sort of like perspective pill books where like not, none of the stuff is new, but it's, it's very, very good to just have that uh, brought to the front of your mind that like people – actually lived through this sort of stuff and like some of the stuff again you yeah it floors you like it absolutely blows your mind um some of the stuff you read in those books um so yeah i yeah i think what i was thinking was i think people should definitely everyone should just read books like that every now and then um just those easy books that are like small that tell a Non, a true story about some sort of atrocity that has gone on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a um, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Like, I I agree with your point about books like that, and I think they've, on the more chronic level, they've done a lot for my worldview and my perspective. But how they work on the acute level is, uh, I'm not as sure. Mm. Um, you know, like you can read it and then feel like immediately grateful for your circumstances in comparison mm. to theirs, for example. But as you're probably aware, like with just the the feeling, like the languishing feeling, the up and down, just the feeling great in the morning and then all of a sudden like really crappy two hours later that sort mm. of like lockdown brings about mm. on some rational level, like yeah, the logical level, you can be aware that you are really actually pretty far from suffering anywhere near the level mm. that which suffering can be inflicted. Mm. But it sort of doesn't make you feel better at that point. It's like mm. problems just feel like problems. Mm. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. And there's, there is that thread of not wanting to like compare sufferings because that's definitely um that's definitely a risk when you you have these conversations and uh you know you're sort of like advocating for a worldview of um appreciating other people's sufferings then the other side of that coin is well it's not a competition and suffering is suffering or pain is pain and my pain is just as valid as someone in a third world country's pain um, because it is all relative at the end of the day, um, which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a, a little bit of wiggle room to, um, to like shift your baseline somehow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Perhaps that's the case. So what do you think about this? This is something that I was relaying to, uh, I was having a conversation with Luke, uh, Luke Tullick, um, during the week. And I sort of have this, I've tried to describe it before where, and I don't think I conveyed it very well, but um, 
like say your conscious state is the screen on a computer and i think any problem we have basically is like clicking full screen on some app and you sort of it doesn't matter the the quality of the problem mm. for example someone's kind of like oh but i know your situation's worse and they're sort of hedging around the fact that they're they feel really shit about their problem but mm. they're cautious because on some quantitative level sorry and i know i've switched between qualitative and quantitative there on some mm. quantitative level like or whatever qualitative level even the other person's problem should be considered worse than theirs mm. but the the so i've tried to explain it like that before and i don't think it gets my point across in the way that i want it to but the way I probably now conceive of it is in a bit like Parkinson's. Is it Parkinson's law? Yeah, like time the, expands to. Yeah, work expands to the um mm. to the amount of time available to do it. Yeah, and I think problems basically expand to the size or to the amount of space available we have to sort of consider them and ruminate on them. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I think this kind of explains why um, in some way people who are worse off don't actually engage with their problems to the same extent that, you know, someone who has a more quote-unquote ideal life yet has this mm. one problem that seems to be in the way of, you know, preventing them from living the perfect life, whereas those who are less fortunate say you're sort of your Viktor Frankl situations right at the, you know, the bottom end of that spectrum Mm. just has such little capacity to engage with the problem at some level Mm. because they're literally worrying about staying alive and doing Mm. a number of other integral things. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something to that though. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, uh maybe like a slight shift i was thinking i was thinking about that this week that exact point and uh and maybe that i think that was going to be what i am bullish on this week actually um so i i think just pressure and discomfort maybe encapsulates it something along the lines of uh i guess like to to see what our capacity is i think a lot of the time we try and create the optimal conditions to try and see what our capacity is for whatever it may be for x but perhaps uh you know perhaps that is not the best way to figure out your capacity for x perhaps the best way is to um put yourself under suboptimal conditions uh and again sort of speaking to that point of like when you're really under stress or you're really under the pump, you sort of do just figure out a way to do it. Uh, And when you're not under those external pressures or as much pressure, you, yeah, you don't have that pressure to do the problem solving, to realize that you can solve the problem. You sort of, and again, it is, it is essentially just Parkinson's law. I think Uh, you essentially just feel like you, um uh what was i gonna say yeah you just have so much time and space i guess that 
you can really only maybe conceptualize of one resolution um, or like the the suboptimal resolution, something along the lines of that. But yeah, when there is a lot of time and uh, a lot of, say, time pressure and uh, whatever it may be, any other pressures, you are really like forced into figuring out a way out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think this is something that um, I've experienced so many times. I think you, each uni assignment is always a reminder of this kind of concept of just, you know, when it comes down to it, you sort of, or when, yeah, when you've got plenty of time, you're operating in this sort of like theoretical optimal space space, mm. and you kind of like, oh, but there's that problem there. And I, I, you're almost searching, searching for problems yet when it really comes down to it and it's time to implement and do something or you're like, far out i've got to get this thing submitted by you know mm. eight o'clock and it's 7 37 mm. you just start searching for solutions it's like words go on the page you know mm. code goes in the thing it's like just whatever you've got to do you do it and you get extremely pragmatic and yeah all of a sudden the solution is there right it might not be perfect yeah but you've gone from zero to you know nearly perfectly one in an instant yeah so an example, the example that I had this week was like I was you know, finishing up at the old place and doing the cleaning and stuff and I still have this bookshelf that I need to get rid of and it was there. So for about a month it was there and I was like, oh, I should probably sell that or not probably. It was like, I need to sell that. I should put it on Facebook Marketplace. Just didn't for so long. Obviously just procrastinated. And then it got to this last week. I needed to be out by this weekend and I still hadn't like sold it or put it up. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck, I, I really need to sell this. I can't transport it um, in my own car. And I was sort of going back with someone and it, it looked for a little bit like I wouldn't be able to sell it on time. And then I was like, okay, that's off the table. And then I, I went into that problem solving mode and I was like, well, hang on, actually, if I don't have the option, I could actually maybe transport in my car tie the boot down, take the shelves out, like maybe I could actually do it. But like that didn't even seem like an option to me when I had all this time and space to be like, oh no, my only option is getting someone to pick it up and take it. But once I was forced into this corner, I was like, oh, I could actually do this, this and that. Um, yeah, so that was that was my experience with it this week. So what's the, what's the bow you'd put all around that? What would you call that concept? Um... It was similar to when lockdown started, something, a quote that I read. It's like the, it, I think it comes from the sort of Toyota methodology. Um, the quote was something to the effect of uh, when like the water lowers, you know, you see the, you can see the, uh, you can see the rocks in the water or something like that and um, you can sort of see the lay of the land for what it really is and then you can kind of optimise from there. Um, the water lowering being, you know, external pressures. And so when you have like these external pressures, I think it gives you in some senses like a better, a better view of the lay of the land to be able to optimise from there. 
bit of a long bow to tie around it all. I think it's the Toyota method. Yeah, you'll probably need to explain that in weeks to come. I think I know what you're talking about, though. Um, if I had yeah, the books upstairs, but yeah, anyway. Story of our lives. Yeah, um, yeah okay. what about you? What are you uh, bullish or bearish on this week? This this week, I was sort of like, I was bullish on two things. Um, one was just stories, like really, yeah, just enjoyed being with Nanampar and hearing a bunch of <laughs> stories. And <laughs> just, Are you going to tell that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell. That one's funny. Um, <laughs> but Par is just a funny storyteller. And I, that was, it caught, because I, you're obviously aware of one of the stories, because I told you, but why it surprised me is because I've heard so many of Par's stories before. I love hearing them because I think he re- he is really good at at telling them and he puts a lot into it. Um, but yeah, one of them, one of them this week was, and I don't know how it even came up. It was just so funny. We we're just out walking Nan, Par and I, cause Nan goes for a walk every night and then Par sets out uh, like 10 minutes later. Cause Nan typically walks like the top of a hill nearby top of a mm. golf course. And then Par sort of just does like an easy, um, meter halfway and wanders back and I think that's super cute in and of itself but so the three of us are just walking back and Nan's like 10 meters ahead so that that was probably the trigger for Pa he's just like <laughs> oh I'll get some breathing room here and like, you know Nan can't hear and anyway he starts just telling me about how um he was droving cattle with his uncles and um his pop one time and he was sort of saying how he's like pop wasn't a, he wasn't a real funny man but he he had some funny theories, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, man, this just sums up Purcells in in a <laughs> nutshell. Like all the males in our family just have theories on everything, mm. just where they shouldn't, but <laughs> just real <laughs> real hypothesizers." Yeah. Anyway, and Pa said they were just sitting around the fire one night and um talking shit as blokes do, in his words. And he's like, "One of my uncles, I think it was I think it was Dick, you know, turned to Pop and goes." So, Pop, like, how, you know, how old are you when you finally stop thinking about women? Because they must have just been, you know, sitting around talking about women as as men do. And <laughs> and Pa's like, Pop was about 75 at, at this point, and he just continued to stare into the fire and goes, oh, fucked if I know Dick. He'll have to ask someone a lot older than me. <laughs> It just, it was so Ooh. funny because Pa, yeah, he just had this cheeky smile on his face and it just, he <laughs> yeah. was like life itself telling the story. He just gets such a kick out yeah. of telling a story. And <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, hang on, that's how old you are. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what are you yeah. telling me here? <laughs> those, are, those are some wise words though. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, I don't know, it made me laugh. And then I, yeah, I caught up with dad and dad was telling me about how, <laughs> I, I don't remember this, but he was telling me about how when I was a kid and I just hated sleeping. So, <laughs> changing. yeah, that's, yeah, still, still a thing. Um, so him and mum used to tie the, my bedroom door shut so I couldn't get, couldn't get out because really? I'd, I'd keep just opening the door and coming back out. <laughs> so, and then I'd fall asleep on the inside of the door. So then they'd try to, they wanted to wait <laughs> for me to fall asleep so then they yeah. could put me into bed. But I'd always sleep right against the door, the door because I was yeah. trying to get close to them. And, <laughs> and just, I don't know, just like I got such yeah. a kick out of little stories like that. None told a few yeah. and 
yeah, I don't know. Stories felt good. Um, yeah. yeah, they're hard. Uh, I, v- I really like very much envy good storytellers. Yeah, it's a it's such a skill, and yeah, just the, the way that people it comes so naturally to someone like Part, and I obviously know more storytellers, but he's sort of you know famous within our family. And whenever all the cousins are together, they're like, "Tell the gorilla tree story and tell yeah. you know tell this and that." Yeah. Um. So yeah, but the other thing, unless you had comments on stories. Um, no, no, I was just going to say that, yeah, again, like bullish on stories for sure. And because it, it, yeah, I think it's quite accepted that that's the best method of information dissemination. Um, you know, quite obviously we take on information best through storytelling and, uh, yeah, to be able to do that in a really good way, would be phenomenal gift i think yeah i do i do really want to underscore that point because the it as probably maybe this is more relevant to myself than to you i think you know you're probably say in many senses more appreciative of the art of life and Mm. you know in many ways i think people who are Let's let's call them hyperlogic, hyperlogical mm. or you know very rationality minded, are very wary of stories and quote unquote narratives and mm. things like that that sort of might be misleading. But I I really do agree with you, and I think the vast majority of um, actually sort of like impactful mental models come from like fables and stuff like that. Mm just something where you don't need to actually re-derive or re or you can sorry like re-derive the information not necessarily word for word mm. but you get the crux of it and you can recall the story and recount it to someone else mm. you know, without it again being word for word yeah um just like it reminds me of the uh moonwalking with einstein yeah phenomenal book phenomenal book yeah um, what was your on that uh, yeah, so I don't know how much, but essentially a book about, uh, I think he was a journalist and he went from just a regular journalist to, was it 12 months? Yeah, yeah I think about yeah. 12 months, yeah. In one year. And then I think he won the like national memory championships. Um, and I guess the, the nonfiction insight in that narrative, um, is all about, like how you actually train your memory and how it's very much a a skill that anyone can learn. Um, And the way you do it is sort of through this uh, like cognitive spatial um, reframing of ideas and uh, I guess like inanimate things, inanimate pieces of information and bring them to life in like a story or the, I forget what they use, the palace or whatever they use. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. I think the my, the two takeaways for me were very much like it's not because we treat intellectual capacity or cognitive capacities as mm-hmm. very finite or like, you know, you were given something yeah. and you either got it or you don't. 
Whereas I guess, you know, the sort of growth mindset mentality of more recent years suggests that's incorrect. And yeah. As um, we'll speak about today. As we'll speak about today. And the other was um, you can significantly enhance the capacities of your brain just by working with the way it functions best. Mm. Like giving things salience mm. in order to remember them. And that's why stories work, because you remember details about characters or conflicts or, or other things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. All right, we'll keep moving. I'll save my um my next. I can't have two bullishes. That's <laughs> not part of the game. Uh, beautiful. So, yeah, today we're um, just going to have a chat about a couple of cool ideas. And uh, I guess they've been quite influential and things that we both uh, tend to gravitate towards a lot. But they're ideas that someone that Naval Ravikant speaks about a lot and, um, you know, someone that we both admire very much um, due to the way, not only like the way he lives his, not only the ideas that he holds, but the way he lives his life and the way that, I guess, the ideas that he holds uh, influence the way that he lives his life which is, you know, obviously something that we are bullish on. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think to provide a bit of an overview of the landscape of Naval and his ideas and his life, he something that sticks out for me from him is, I guess, just everything being attainable for almost everyone. So he speaks a lot about life, happiness and wealth. Um, and health and philosophy, um, to name a few. But I think for me, like the big thread that runs through a lot of Naval's speakings and writings and um, thinking is that all of these things are almost like formulaic and they can be attained by almost anyone. Um, and like you were sort of alluding to with the intellectual capacity or cognitive capacity, they aren't these um, like nebulous things in the ether that are, unattainable by gifted people that are only held by gifted people they're these actual tangible things that you can create a map towards uh, navigating towards and achieving them or attaining them um, yeah so that's that's what i think about naval as a whole or yeah no i think you you're exactly correct that that is kind of the the image or the idea that he portrays, it's, yeah, you're not born smart. It's like anyone can become a smart person. You're not mm. born happy. Anyone can become a happy person. And while some, you know, maybe say born rich, he's like anyone, no matter the circumstances, can learn to generate wealth. And I think they're, you know, there's obviously more to life than those things, but they're extremely large foundation of building a good life from. Mm. Um but yeah, so I think Naval, personally, I think he's interesting. I think you said this, but um, well, one one I would say is he sort of exemplifies what you were speaking about last week, Josh, about why you enjoy Sam Harris, because mm. he lives sort of, he manages to embody some of these very polar kind of opposite uh, qualities or tendencies so, you know, for example, like Naval um, was originally born in India, moved across, um, you know, didn't necessarily come from very fortunate circumstances, 
I think he speaks about in the book or just, you know, elsewhere, um, raised by a single, single mom, him and his brother, they were immigrants, um, and carries a lot of sort of Eastern philosophy inside his head or Eastern, you know, spirituality and those kinds of ideas within Mm. him, but then made his way into sort of the very capitalistic, in some ways, meritocratic world of Silicon Valley and thrived as a, as a technologist Mm. and, you know, venture capitalist and, um, investor. So I think, yeah, I think that's really interesting just that now that while he has become successful, he has maintained those connections to sort of his upbringing. And that's, yeah, I think that's why I personally respect him the most is not because, you know, he's successful, he's wealthy or whatever, but he is someone who seems to, or that exemplifies that quote, don't tell me about your philosophy, show me. Yeah. Like, live it. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, I think the way that he approaches, so the sort of three big um, focus areas, that those being wealth, health, and happiness. Um, And I think it is in that book somewhere. Um, So I, I don't know where he said this, but... Um, he said the three big ones are wealth, health, and happiness. We pursue it in that order, but really it should be reversed. And I think like that it sort of speaks to um, what you were talking about, where his kind of North Star is just to be happy. Um, and then these other things are really just a means towards achieving that end. Um, and, yeah, again, like something we, we speak about a lot and we have spoken about a lot regarding money and wealth. Obviously, you know, you need it to get by. Um, more of it can be good in a lot of circumstances. Less of it is probably bad. Uh, but it's not necessarily the North Star. Um, and I think, like, when you break everything down or, like, when you break the way a lot of people are living down, it is kind of just to, uh, you know, find pleasure or find happiness when you really, like, break down to the bare bones of it. Um, and yeah, I think just being explicit about the way you're doing that, uh, and again, like realizing that there is a rational way to be happy (laughs) and there are more, there are better and worse ways to attain happiness or attain health or wealth. Um, and yeah, that, that's, again, that's what I love about like what he speaks about and writes is that there is a path towards it and you just got to kind of figure out how to do it and then it's you know again it's uh simple but not easy yeah i think there's we i'll maybe give another few examples of things that come to mind and then we'll actually start reading some some quotes in particular and going through some of his content but just to just to further understand him if you're not familiar with him though you know probably most people will be is that um very much uh, plays by the kind of the Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, long-term mindset of, you know, you become wealthy by staying ethical and um, 
or like and also not just you become wealthy but you become happy and therefore like you can enjoy your wealth because it's built upon you know an ethical foundation and you're not worried about some business partner who's about to stab you in the back or you know the government or you know law enforcement are going to come and take it away from you at any point but um yeah i think it's the warren buffett quote of kind of it takes 20 years to build a good reputation and five seconds to destroy it. Mm. And I think Naval is again, one of those people who, who tries to play by that throughout his book or, you know, Twitter it's scattered with, um, play the long-term game, yeah. which means you typically need to do the hard thing up front and then you get rewarded by, um, your investments and compound interest in the long run. So, yeah, mm. just that's kind of the whole philosophy that I guess has probably been apparent in things that Josh and I speak about. Mm. And Naval is just one of those people where we've probably been encouraged to continue along that path. Mm. Worship might be a better one. <laughs> um, but yeah, we do love Naval. But yeah, there there is so much on reputation, and uh, and he I know he right will. I didn't even, here's a funny thing. Does he even write? I know he's got a book on happiness, but does he, does he blog? I think it's his brother who has the book on happiness. I, no, I'm pretty sure he wrote a book called, um, uh, love, something like happy love, like, like your life depended on it, something like that. Pretty sure it's his brother. Really? Interesting. Because yeah. that was another funny thing. Like he, you obviously would have heard about how he almost died during like a kind of routine surgery. No, I haven't heard that one actually. Oh, crazy. Yeah. He, I think he did technically die for a couple of seconds and it was, yeah, like a kind of banal routine surgery. And, uh, he, yeah, he almost died for no reason really. Um, that's, that's pretty heavy. Um, but what I was going to say, yeah, so reputation, uh, it's just kind of a, another a, another type of capital, really. Uh, well, I guess, you know, it is kind of just human capital reframed or vice versa. But when you put it like that, it, it, does, um, it does become a good guiding force um, or a good instructive force for, for a way to behave like that your reputation is building up capital and that, you know, like all capital, you can store it and utilize it. Um, you can gain some, lose some, uh, and the way you interact with people, um, is sort of contributing to this quote unquote capital. Yeah. I love, I love that line of thinking. Um, just, yeah, sort of using, because we do, in some ways, we can be very hyper-focused on our reputation in a negative way, but in the sort of Naval, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger way of using reputation as an axiom for decision-making, I think that's, yeah, that's really useful. Um, and just, yeah, finally, I think, again, that sort of exemplifies one of, maybe one of the real core insights in Naval's thinking is escaping zero-sum games mm. and just managing to get yourself into some kind of positive-sum game where, yeah, rewards will accrue and build upon themselves. And I think that 
he he obviously speaks about in the wealth creation sense, but also in the sort of the spirituality sense of, mm. well, that's what mindfulness allows for. Like it's, oh, spades, God's sake. She got bitten? Nah, she's trying to claw her way up. <laughs> Are you wearing shorts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Just, Don't wear pants. Do not wear pants. <laughs> um, consistent. Anyway. Um, yeah, so there's, you know, you want to accrue wealth by playing long-term games, um, positive sum games. Like if you wouldn't, he sort of says things like if you wouldn't do business with someone, you know, for if you can't see yourself doing business with someone for a lifetime, don't do it with them for a day. Mm. Um, and that sort of exemplifies that. It's like the best compounding comes from long-term relationships. But mm. on the mindfulness and spirituality front, it's you have to escape the hedonic treadmill of mm. just constantly seeking the next pleasure hit because that's a zero-sum game. Because it's like you're either feeling pain or you're masking that with pleasure. And when the mm. pleasure is gone, you've got pain again and that kind of stuff. Whereas like if you can fall back into that space of just awareness that mindfulness kind of promotes, mm. then you can start enjoying life in a yeah positive way. Yeah, he's definitely one of the these sort of modern uh, grand optimist intellectuals that believes that progress is the way forward, um, growing the economy and growing GDP is the way forward, and that there's so so much left on the table, and that that's gonna uh, that will heal society's ills is you know, and like speaking to that podcast that he had with that person recently whom i am forgetting do you remember who it was the australian no, no. some guy who was really good <laughs> um that they really harp on that uh knowledge is the way to is the way forward yeah the um the 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 one that was sort of based around david deutsch's um Beginning the beginning of infinity. of infinity, yeah. That guy was good. He what did he have? Some, the some the podcast. T, TOK podcast? Talk, something talk, yeah. Yeah, Theory of Knowledge podcast, I think. Oh, yeah, nice. Anyway, mm. um, you go. have you got a... Oh, okay, I'll go. Um, I like this one. So this is in the sort of the mental training and meditation section of his book. Meditation is turning off society and listening to yourself. It only works when done for its own sake. Hiking is walking meditation. Journaling is writing meditation. Praying is gratitude meditation. Showering is accidental meditation. <laughs> Sitting quietly is direct meditation. Mm, I like it. Yeah. Like you were speaking about the other day uh, with the showering, that, you know, shower thoughts. Well, it's probably just because you don't have a chance to look at your phone. Um, but yeah, I, I'm massive on that. Like, I think the problem with meditation is that it has that label and that it has the practice attached to it. So I'm so big on, like, I rarely ever, you know, formally meditate right now, um, i.e. sit down on a cushion. But there are so many moments throughout the day where I have these mindfulness, really intentional mindfulness moments. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the key. Yeah, I would say I'm a, at a pretty similar um, stage myself. I'm sort of in two minds currently, just speaking personally about myself for a moment, about 
whether I'd dive back in and go for a next level kind of mm. patch of meditation or just continue with where I'm at. Like I've sort of, it's beginning, the current practice that I guess I'm undertaking is better integrating it into my life. Mm. And if I'm going to do more formal practice, I think it needs to actually be challenging to, you know, do mm. you know, half an hour sits on a consistent yeah. basis or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've definitely just found that like I've, I mean, I should get back into doing like a little bit more challenging stuff, i.e. sitting on a cushion for a bit longer, just because I can tell that I've regressed in a lot of ways in my awareness and attention and um, things like that. Uh, but what I, one quote that relates to that or one of the part, parts that relates to that, um, so there is a passage in there that says the modern struggle is lone individuals summoning inhumane power um, up against armies of scientists weaponizing abundant foods, scream time, porn and other addictions. Um, yeah. So it's to a similar effect, like we're, I guess, trying to uh, go against the grain of society of all these forces that are, you know, people getting paid millions to, use our attention spans as a commodity or as the product. Um, and again, like if people haven't had that <laughs> realization about like social media or YouTube, that you are the product, you know, you're not consuming the product, your attention is the product. Um, that can be quite a mind blowing one, but yeah, I think that just helps. It is kind of a, uh, a bit of a cynical look at it all, but I think it does help to, um, just have that realization every now and then. Yeah, big agreement there. Um, I won't say anything more. I'll pass it over to you. Uh, well, this one's just the same compound interest one, but um, it's it can maybe be said more succinctly than we waffled over. So compound interest also happens in your reputation. If you have a sterling reputation and keep building it for decades upon decades, people will notice. Your reputation will literally end up being thousands or tens of thousands times more valuable than somebody else who is very talented but is not keeping the compound interest in reputation going um yeah so again like for me i think this is just speaks to a lot about in the workforce or any other selection process is that people just hire people <laughs> and that people just want to work with people they like people they know people they enjoy you can kind of almost teach anyone anything to some extent um and, you know, if you pass some minimal sort of threshold, they'll just look for other things. So, like, are you a good person? What is, again, like, what's your reputation? Like, and that it's more thousands times more valuable than someone who's uh, more skilled than you. Yeah. No, I don't have actually too much more to add to that. But possibly this is um, additive in the sense of, we're speaking about like you can teach anyone anything. I think this sort of, this is one of his tweets that, that tails off the back of that and maybe slightly goes against what you were saying there about, um, about how like not you, like some skills are sort of overrated. Not that you were saying that, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, reputation is obviously super important, but anyway, I'll just read this out. So this is one of his tweets. Reading science, math, and philosophy one hour per day will like you put 
will likely put you at the upper echelon of human success within seven years. Yeah, I read that before. That's great. <laughs> I super like that because one, it, like it's putting a time frame on it and it's probably wildly off for tons of reasons, but mm. um, in many ways, I think that's, that's probably pretty accurate. Um, the thing is, it's just like... You, it's a hard algorithm it's a simple algorithm yeah but it's hard to practice yeah like yeah. an hour, hour a day for seven years that's um you know that's some commitment but how long yeah. do you think um you've been going at it now because you've been super consistent i've obviously waved it up and down but like you've yeah i'll leave it at that how long do you think you've been going at it like reading consistently every you know for better or worse or more or less every day uh, for over an hour usually. Ooh. I sort of move the margins on this each time um, because, you know, you sort of, you reach that new level and you're like, oh, I thought I was doing hard work before. Yeah. And now, now I realize that, you know, the first six months prior to that weren't actually hard well you know just quality work but i would mm. say maybe two two years at this point what <laughs> i i think okay. at, the, at the level of dedication <laughs> do you think i'm really understating that yes <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna call you out on this even though it's, so yeah i was thinking i mean obviously i know you very well and i know your schedule very well as well like since we were at jps uh which was, uh, fuck, I don't remember how long ago it was now, but I'm 26, so probably like four years at least. Um, yeah, probably about four years you've been very much very consistent. Uh, yeah, I, I agree to some extent, but I think a lot of what I was reading at that time was say just to have read like it was just to have you know consumed mm. the book mm. it wasn't in the way that i do it now yeah and i've probably oh, maybe i was finishing 10 books a year around mm. that time whereas i wouldn't even say 10 maybe eight ish on average a year i don't know mm. but now you know, I'm getting through 35 <laughs> books a year. Yeah. Um, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, like I I guess I just look at things I thought about and the way that I thought about them, you know, say at that time you're talking about, and it was so shallow in comparison to, so maybe not wrong, but I guess I'm just, yeah, I'm riding that compound interest curve mm. where it seems just the last few years have been super productive in comparison to the first two years before that. But that is just the compound interest phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, yeah, no, I love that as well. But it gives a number on it and it's obviously confirming our biases <laughs> and uh, giving us some sort of comfort that um, we're not wasting our time, etc. cetera. Um, but, yeah, again, like I'm very big on the idea that this sort of Naval-esque idea that it's all attainable and, you know, wealth and health and 
everything that we're speaking about is so attainable. All you need is an internet connection. Um, like, again, to take it egotistically back to myself, just from like YouTube and whatever else, I was able to learn how to play music, like DJ and play piano. That would never have been possible way back when. Um, everything like that, you know, yourself learning how to code as well. And a lot of it's so cheap to do. Yeah, all you need is an internet connection, time and effort. And you can literally learn just about anything. It's It, it still blows my mind. So, so there with you. And like, you know, you've already transcended, like I think a trivial level of skill with both DJing and piano. Like, mm. you know, I would, like I'm obviously biased, but I would certainly <laughs> listen to you do both those things. I think it's awesome how far you've come, but it's, it's again, it's that hour a day for seven years kind of algorithm because yeah. you put in the time and effort consistently, mm. but it's, yeah, the, the progress is super real when you're mm. consistent with it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, like with the whole, just to speak to myself a little bit, coding, yeah, have, has of course seemed super hard along the way and people mm. are kind of like, oh, are you really sure you want to shift careers? And, you know, is it worthwhile taking two or three years out to learn that thing? Like mm. if it takes you three years to learn a super hard skill that, increases your income bracket say by you know fivefold mm. probably worthwhile and i'm not doing it for the money i do it because i really enjoy it but yeah. to do like two or three years to develop a whole new career path like, yeah i'm just not sure where people are or how people are doing the sums if that doesn't seem at least mm. yeah uh preaching to the converted over here um, what, what was it you or me? Uh, I think it's me. Um, simple one. Clear thinker is a better compliment than smart. Mm, I like it. Um, yeah, I like it a lot. That reminds me of, uh, my favorite comedian, Mark Norman. Have you watched him yet? No. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> no, you legit, legit love him. Can I can I actually reference? Um, oh, I've lost the quote now, but yeah, okay. I'm going to use this in entirely self. Um, <laughs> congratulatory. Yeah, self congratulatory, self serving way. Very smart people tend to be weird since they insist on thinking everything through for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think I've ever taken a recommend. I know I certainly have, but <laughs> I'm the worst at taking recommendations. <laughs> that is very true. It's it's almost not worth recommending anything to because it's just like I don't know what it is, but yeah, you just don't you don't listen. But that's I fine. don't know what it is either. Like, but it just doesn't appeal to me when someone says, "Oh, you should watch this show." I was like. Unless I've discovered some kind of because it just and this is the phenomenon I was speaking about yeah. the other day. I was like, how am I going to learn about things that I don't know? But, but when someone pushes something into my radar, it's like, no, nah, that yeah. seems unless it's come and grabbed me on its own, it can't be that interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, a a mutual friend of ours said the exact same thing about books. She was like, uh, you know, if if someone tells me about a book that they're reading i automatically don't want to read it 
this is the girl version of you that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, it's a hundred percent girl version of me, <laughs> which is well, not a hundred percent. I shouldn't say that. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's an awful thing to say about someone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God she doesn't um, listen. But um, I like how um, I like how you actually mentioned her name one time and now i've also not not mentioned it a couple of others yeah because i was thinking about it and i was like oh maybe i shouldn't have done that but like fucking who cares anyway um, um but can i expand on this quickly yeah 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 yes so clear thinker is a better compliment than smart and this ties back to in my sense uh that sort of the sentiment i was trying to get across last week when i was speaking about the value of simplicity mm. i think clear thinkers know what to strip away yeah. it's dealing with the essence of some problem or when you're communicating something you're only conveying the most um essential or integral parts whereas we think of smart or intelligent as the ability to grapple with complexity and uh, like sort of the mental image of um, like this in my mind is so you've got like some massive tree with massive branches and it's just being super problematic. I kind of think of like a smart or intelligent person as like coming along and being able to use a bunch of different tools or like multiple arms or whatever to tie all the branches in amongst themselves and like bow it up in this very complex but um, space preserving way mm. whereas the clear thinker just knows to go for the trunk like go for the root of the problem and mm. sort of like chop it down from there yeah and there's this yeah i think this tension between you want some ability to grapple with complex information but yeah also that ability to filter out all that's non-essential mm-hmm. i guess that's why it is attention but i guess I would, overall i would agree that a clear thinker is is a better compliment than being smart mm. um, i'm really going to disagree with anything in this book first of all <laughs> and then, but uh yeah so a couple of things came up for me um i guess the difference between knowledge and wisdom is maybe a bit of a a uh, uh, colloquial way of framing this concept um, and why I brought up, brought up Mark Normand, obviously comedian, um, not necessarily like someone you would think is a highly intelligent person in the, in the typical book smart way. But, um, you know, I've listened to a lot of him on podcasts and just, you know, entertainment, things like that. Uh, he's very much just a clear thinker and i was thinking about that today actually when i was reading and i was thinking a thought came to me i was like maybe just spending time thinking is you know this is obviously a crude way of doing some math but maybe spending time thinking is almost more more valuable or pushing things forward more than consuming and again like obviously context matters and those things are going to shift and, you know, they they each add to the utility. Um, but, yeah, I think there is something to be said of said for the thought experiment of 
maybe like never reading a book, but just spending a lot of time actually thinking and grappling with ideas um, and where you would end up in comparison. Uh, obviously, there needs to be some sort of balance. But yeah, I think I really like that, that regarding just being a clear thinker, because that's ultimately what we want to get to. You don't want to be this sort of convoluted um, alphabet soup jargon throwing, you know, quote unquote intellectual. You just want to be able to pull apart the world easier and easier ways. Yeah, I think I think that's a phenomenal way of describing it. And I would certainly agree that, like, you know, you can take the the two extreme positions of, say, someone who just lives kind of that um, that Tibetan monk lifestyle of mm. just not not consuming anything and just pondering. And there's obviously significant advances that can be made doing that. Yeah, we'd probably think uh, someone can better understand the world and and navigate their way through it. Um, you know, say opting for books and all these available sources of information. Mm. But the good thing is we don't need to take one or the other positions. Mm. At various times, it's probably good to be heavily one way just to experience yeah. that mindset at a deeper level. But yeah, I would certainly say... I am probably pushing, if not past, the point of diminishing returns on information consumption on a weekly basis. I think I yeah. should spend more time writing and definitely more time in space between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a conversation that I was also having recently was I guess re regarding books and like junk nonfiction or pop science books versus you know classic fictions etc um, and I think there's no wrong or right way but it's it is very much just that kind of linear journey like you need to get your beak wet and start with the easier stuff but it does get to a stage where it's like okay how many more nonfiction bestsellers can I read um, where it's not giving me anything versus, you know, now by the sounds of things where you're at, it's just you're reading fiction for pleasure and sort of looking for these um, view quake books and just doing the do yourself. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the point that I'm tipping into. Very much still consuming regular books in the sense of, you know, you can find them in, um, a bookstore, but filtering much more strongly for the view quake books and the kind of books that say Naval might recommend at the end of this. He's got like a kind of recommend reading, you know, if they're making his top 10 looks interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I mentioned this maybe on, oh, I can't remember where I mentioned actually it may have been on one of our episodes, maybe to you or to actually someone else of just, I think one of my goals now has to be um, reading textbooks like very soon. Um, you know, I've got within the next few years, I would love to read a microeconomics textbook mm. cover to cover, probability textbook cover to cover, and like a theory of computation <clears throat> cover to cover, possibly one on evolution mm. um, or social psychology 
something like that. Like I think mm-hmm. those kinds of things are how you really, really come to, um, yeah, understand a topic rather than another one of the, the pop science sort of things, yeah. as you said. But you can pick up a ton of low-hanging fruit by reading those books for a number of years, I think. Yeah. Um, what are, like, Naval's big four? It's like uh, microeconomics, evolutionary psychology. And so I think it's game theory, microeconomics, um, physics. physics he some might, sort of physics? Yeah, he's big on maths, physics. Um, well, to go back a step, he's big on fundamentals. He's not mm-hmm. big on, um, you know, he speaks about calc- like calculus is, is a useful point to get to, but he's like, in everyday life, you don't need to understand it, but you're better off knowing addition, multiplication, trigonometry, and ge- geometry, mm. you know, the and some algebra, say, really, really well. And, you, you know, you don't need to know say, relativity or these really um, fancy physics concepts. Mm. If, if you can understand core physics really, really well and then re-derive the rest from there, that's that's the best use of your time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the topics, I've got it highlighted in here somewhere, but I think it's game theory, evolution, psychology, and... Um, Micro microeconomics, yeah, something like that, as well as just yeah, math and science and philosophy in general. <laughs> and this goes on the entire the entire world of information knowledge, <laughs> the Western canon. Um, so this sort of relates. Maybe we'll just do like one more each. Um, this relates to yeah, what we're talking about: knowledge versus wisdom, and I guess taking that sort of meta view of things. Um, Okay, so maybe I'll do a little two-parter. His definition of judgment, or, okay, yeah. Quote, my definition of wisdom is knowing the long-term consequences of your actions. Interesting. Uh, Wisdom applied to external problems is judgment. Interesting. Um, And another little one here, picking the right direction you're heading for in every decision is far, far more important than how much force you apply. Just pick the right direction to start walking and start walking. Um, yeah, that second one, phenomenal. Dude, to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there was, uh, someone said it recently, but it's just the quote of like, start now and optimize later. Um, very much just get the wheels in motion. And, uh, you know, once you've overcome that, I guess, sort of activation energy or that initial barrier, um to starting then think about how you want to optimize nitpick and yeah yeah and that that just relates to our you know sort of the earlier part of our conversation a little bit um how we we stay in that Mm. before undertaking a task we stay in that filtering pruning optimizing state of mind and it should just be like generative like motion go yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, something I like about Naval actually is, and this is coming from, you know, well, our shared um, health and fitness background, mm-hmm. is that he's an intellectual who doesn't get diet and fitness advice way <laughs> off track. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, 
some of the nomenclature and some of the words and things, you know, in here, he might miss the mark by a little bit, but you would be playing with semantics, I think, mm. at a point. Um, you know, Sedge might read this and go, ah, oh, that's, that's not quite right. But mm. for the most part, he's capturing a ton of utility in you know, 140 character sort of statements. Mm. Um, uh, for example, like he's not a, a keto sort of sellout, mm. like as, as a ton of people, not a sellout, but um, <laughs> just all of a sudden turning off all critical thinking and mm. knowledge of science. Um, I, I would say I certainly agree for the most part of his push that, um, you know, moving towards a paleo diet of mostly veggies, mm. some meat with maybe some berries thrown on top is a is a pretty good base. Mm. Um, and I like he's got a comment in here as well that's that goes along the lines of the harder the workout, the easier the day. And mm. I like that. It's mm. again as someone who knows, you know, a little bit about sports science. Yeah, we've got to consider you know, the amount of volume someone can tolerate, recovery, that kind of thing. But mm. there really is some some wisdom to that. And that, that morning workout ritual, I mm. think, can, can really set people up for a good day. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Like just finding that discomfort because something I'm becoming increasingly aware of is just uh, getting way too comfortable with things. And uh, my capacity for discomfort um, becoming lower and lower uh, if I don't if I don't make conscious um, a conscious effort to address it really yeah yeah I know you've spoken about this before that it's something that you're concerned about maybe we can mm. speak about that in time mm. um, but yeah what was that last one um, health yes that's what I was gonna say so yeah a lot of and I think this really, it just speaks to Naval as a principal thinker, is that a lot of, say, quote-unquote intellectuals or, say, like domain-specific intellectuals, they easily become um, just a lay person in another field, kind of naturally so. But uh, did you see that thing that... Um, uh, who's the Renaissance dude? Mike posted... Mike Isratel posted about people that are sort of more scientifically aware are, say, even more uh, susceptible to pseudoscience. No, I didn't see that. But, yeah, that doesn't sort of doesn't completely strike me as surprising. Yeah, anyway, it was just, um, yeah, it was referencing this study. But, uh, yeah, just that point of, like, a lot of people that are, I think it's a case of people taking a very conventional path of education where arguably it doesn't really focus on this sort of first principles thinking that you're you're only as good you're only good in that tiny little circle that you occupy anytime you step out of it um you're just lost lost as lost as the next person um but again like to for someone like naval just focusing on that really first principles thinking um, you can sort of take that into any other any other domain and um, be able to keep your feet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The fact there's there's carryover and knowledge transfer, like mm. actually tells you that you know something. 
like something that you understand at an underlying level about the world. Mm. And I think that's what you and I are striving for. It's, mm. yeah, it definitely doesn't appeal to me to be a, a specialist who, you know, mm. drops back to zero as soon as they step off their tiny little mountain. Mm. Yeah. No, again, you're preaching to the converted there. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah, I guess we'll leave it there then. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening again. We hope you enjoyed another chat. Um, hope you have a good week. Hope you're surviving the, the lockdowns. Um, any any last words? No, I was just going to echo a lot of those same sentiments. Yeah, stay positive. Um, I hope you can find some some enjoyment in your life and some some moments of gratitude and mm. yeah, mindfulness. Um, I think to quote something that Naval quotes in here. Um, it's it's not his quote originally, but it, it goes something along the lines of enlightenment occurs. Enlightenment is the space between your thoughts, and yeah. I think there's Hola. there's a lot to that. Um, so yeah, hopefully you can capture some some moments of that yourself this week. And yeah, if you ever have any feedback, thoughts, ideas, topics that you think Josh and I should cover, um, places you think we can improve. We are always open to it and, and would love to hear from any of you. Slide into Lyndon's DMs. They're, they're full. <laughs> Stay out of there. And contact me via different means. Well played. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys.